Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Tactical Yanks podcast, your podcast for soccer in America and around the world. I'm your co-host, Pete Douthit, and I am joined by my fellow co-host, Filippo Silva, and welcome to the Tactical Yanks podcast. Hopefully you enjoy. We'll be talking about U.S. soccer, European soccer, South American soccer, the World Cup, and much more. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tactical Yanks podcast. I am 90% recovered from COVID at this point, Pete. I've just been very sleepy. I would say the the, the, the flu symptoms have been gone, but or, or maybe it just awakened a lazy man inside of me and I'm just been very sleepy. <laughs> or you've just that. been influenced by Tactical Dog. Maybe it's nothing to do with COVID then. Maybe it's be. contagious. But Pete, how are you doing today? How are you doing? I'm doing okay, man. I am um, setting up a lot of videos. Uh, we should probably tell people this now, actually. Um, we're both traveling a little bit in July, um, which means for this podcast will be our last one for the next two weeks. We're going to take a short break just because it's been a very crazy summer of soccer and we're both traveling. We will have videos on YouTube still. We're scheduling them. We're creating them in advance and then we'll still upload them. Uh, but there won't be a Tactical Yanks podcast for the next two weeks, correct? Three weeks, actually. So we're not going to have an episode July 5th because we're going to finish the U-20s. I'm going to be traveling to actually Mexico on the July 5th. Dustin will also be traveling around in Europe. Um, Pete will be there. You two should meet, actually. <laughs> Is he going to um, be in Germany? Uh, I think this will be in Paris, actually. Oh, okay. I'm not going to Paris this time. No, but you, th- you guys should try to meet. I mean, Europe is not that big. It's guys, not. It's not. You guys, you guys can try to meet. So we won't have a July 5th. We won't have a July 12th. We won't have a July 19th. So you guys will be getting rid of us for three weeks. We'll be back July 26th, probably with a transfer recap episode, a lot to talk about. We all need a break because the rest of this year is going to be overly busy. We're going to be doing a heavy coverage of the World Cup. So expect us to make an announcement later in July or August of more of what the plan will be, the coverage for the World Cup. It'll be yes. pretty busy. But don't worry. In July, the YouTube channels will be active as usual. Normal. We're going to have yeah. two, three videos a week that are scheduled. Actually, great videos that are scheduled. You guys have some see. really good ones coming out. Yeah, we have good videos because we had time to plan, um, prepare. So they're all ready, including I'm going to spoil it. There's a video that Dustin will appear. So be ready for that, too. All right. We're do a USA Ecuador video and Dustin will be representing a little bit of the US, but more of Ecuador in that video specifically. And there's a possibility we could face Ecuador in the second round of the World Cup, right? Yeah. So it does matter. That's one thing to say. Uh, we're not just making it out of nowhere. We, we, we made an Ecuador video a while back, me and Dustin, and then we were waiting to update it. And then with the confirmation of Ecuador in the World Cup, being a group that could match the United States, the whole common ball CONCACAF talk. We're like, I think now is the perfect time for us to finally redo that video with the data we have in the United States now and Ecuador, two teams that qualify to the World Cup. But today we have a lot to talk about here. But before we talk about, we're going to talk about MLS propaganda. We're going to talk about the conspiracy theory that the the 10 is dead in the world of soccer. And But before we get to that, you have a very wonderful review to read, right, from Apple? Yes, we do. We actually got three new reviews in the last week, so we'll actually quite a few more. Um, this one is from Jose, an L Tree fan. So don't worry, guys. We will cover all of the reviews in the next week. But he says, I am an L Tree fan, but I still have to give credit to this podcast. One of my favorite podcasts to listen to. I don't always agree, but that's what makes football so special. 
Great job and keep it up. Thank you, Jose. That's a that's a that's a real fan right there. <laughs> you don't always have to agree, but you can respect a point of view. And you know what's funny about that? Because when you the last game that we did a live stream together, the United States and uh, Nicaragua, Nicaragua, yeah. <laughs> that escaped me for a sec. Uh, Julio from Hovenis came into my stream for a little bit, and and then he we were talking about, it, and then some people were saying, Felipe, you got to be careful in Mexico. You got a lot of enemies there, and I told them, listen. The L3 fans, they actually love this bantering. It's it, might, it may yeah. seem like they're hating me, but they really don't. And I don't hate them either. I think this is what makes it fun. It's the whole bantering of making fun. Otherwise, when you win, what do you do? You just drink beer and celebrate on your own? No, you got to make fun of your rivals. And then that's part of what bantering in soccer is about. And that's what Julio was saying too. And when they were tying Haiti, there were <laughs> Americans in the chat that wanted me to go to his channel to make fun of Mexico. But at the end of the day, that's what it's about in soccer. It's not about agreeing or disagreeing. But today we're going to talk about MLS propaganda because that's not really agreeing or disagreeing. It's just disingenuous to a certain yeah. extent. Before we get to do. that, can I say that actually I find L3 fans are better at taking banter than mm. Canada fans? <laughs> yeah. Canada fans get very upset with this banter. I think it's because they're new to being relevant, right? If your team is new to being relevant on, on the global or even in your own region, it might be a little hard for you to understand how rivalries work. That you new and maybe and temporary, forward. huh? New to relevancy and maybe temporary to relevancy. Yeah, Canada knocked out of the under twenty championship in the second round, losing to Guatemala. Right? Yes. We we know. said during the group stage that this Canada team did not look very good, and some Canada fans got upset at us in the comments. Well. well all they would bring up is that they tied us 2-2, completely ignoring how how the game went and how we didn't really play a lot of our better players, too. That, yeah, uh, we put our B team out there. We still dominated the game. So I want to make one thing clear to Canadians, too, because they came to my comment section and I said they, they're probably not developing players like the current generation. And then one of the players they keep listing is Luca Coleosho, right? By the way, just for the Canadians here, and I've spoken to Luca Coleosho personally. I'm not saying he's not going to pick Canada. I'm just saying he's not inclined more towards Canada. He is literally open to everything. The only reason he went to Canada was because the Canadian senior squad invited him. And one of the conditions for his invitation was he wanted to not be cap tight. He made yeah. that clear. So yeah. he's not more inclined towards Canada. He just... I thought he did the right thing. He went there to check it out. And and to be quite honest, it went horribly as they were on a... <laughs> I was going to say, he couldn't have been cap tied if he tried. <laughs> no, they, they decided to cancel friendlies. They went on a strike. It wasn't it wasn't very good. Um, and now with no under 20 World Cup or Olympics for Canada, who has the weight now to call him in for their youth team to say... I mean, of course, we haven't qualified either. We're recording this podcast before the Costa Rica game. So let's... Knock on wood. Not not count our, our, our chickens before they're egg. No, not count our how do I how am I terrible with these? Not count our chickens before the eggs hatch. Mm -hmm. You know, but overall it does seem that we have the upper hand if we do qualify for even one of those tournaments, because then Luca Culiosho could easily co go to those tournaments and be a very good winger on this team. Exactly. Um, so just to make that clear for Canada, because they kept putting his name and I said, guys, he's not yours. He is on the battle, just like Marcelo Flores at one point could have played for Canada, but he didn't. So, right. But anyhow, Canada does have a strong current generation and they should very much enjoy that. But Pete, why don't we start with the 
shorter topic, which is about the soccer 10. And then we're going to go into the MLS propaganda because I feel like people will be more interested in that one. Yeah. Stick around. And, and the MLS propaganda one will also be a bit longer. There's been a lot lately and it's just ridiculous. So there's this theory out there, right? That the number 10 in soccer is dead. And the main reason we're bringing up this topic is one, because it's very common among U.S. soccer fans to say it. Excuse me. And also because Greg Berhalter doesn't play with a 10, right? Well, right. sort of tried a little bit in the last one, but not really how he, he normally does or U.S. soccer coaches in general. But today we saw a quote from Chichi, the Brazilian coach, where he pretty much says that Neymar is the most creative player in the Brazilian national team. And if you are a coach and you play him wide, I will call you a donkey. <laughs> Love which, it. In, which in Brazil just means you're dumb. I, yeah. I guess in the U.S. too, donkey is not yeah. the smartest um, because you put your most creative players centrally. Yep. Um, obviously, in the past, many Brazilian coaches have put Neymar wide because there was a different creator through the middle, right? At one point, we had Coutinho playing there, which is a very good creator. But now Brazil's best creator is Neymar. And he's, essentially what he's trying to say is the most creative player you got, put him centrally. So yeah. he can actually get his game going, get the best out of him. But many people said that's not true, that that's done. I mean, who's right? Yeah, uh, I think what happened is the old version of the 10 uh, is what a lot of people remember. And I think one of the best sort of classical examples of this is one Roman Riquelme, who used to play for Vill Villarreal. For me, he was one of the most underappreciated players, which sounds weird to say because a lot of people recognized his talent. But he was like Diego, Diego Luna on steroids. And I know it almost sounds like blasphemy to compare those two. But he was so good with his touch, his vision, his dribbling skills, his passing, his shooting. He had that ability to dance on the ball effortlessly. He was, but he did no defensive work. <laughs> he was one of those almost like what's seen as a luxury player where they can create something out of nothing for you, but also they're not going to work very hard defensively. Now, the game has continued to evolve tactically and no team can afford to have a luxury player like that on their, in the lineup anymore, right? Even an amazing guy like Luka Modric, who for me has been one of the most creative midfielders in Europe for the last 20 years, definitely top 10 in my opinion. Um, but he still works very hard for Real Madrid defensively. He'll drop down into their block. He'll join them when they press. Uh, and, and that is the difference. It's not that the 10 is dead or the central attacking midfielder, let's just call it that. It's not that he's dead. It's that he has more than just attacking responsibilities. And a lot of people use that argument and say, you can't play Gio Reyna there because the 10 is dead. What? Yes, of course you can play Gio Reyna there. He does defensive work for Borussia Dortmund, right? Everybody has to participate in defending, whether that's in the press, in a medium block, or in a low block. That's just part of the game nowadays. Yeah, but the idea that you shouldn't put creative players in the middle because they're not defensively solid is asinine. And honestly, it speaks a little bit still to our mentality of certain American soccer fans who think that it's all about physicality and aggression and speed, you know? Yeah, the, the game evolves, right? The same way center backs are much more involved on offense than they were in the past. In the past, the center back would just blast the ball forward or connected to the midfielder. That's that's about it. It was a bunch of no-nonsense center backs, yeah. which nowadays, the best teams in the world, they require a ball-playing defender, a center back that can actually make those long balls, that can connect a technical defender. 
the game evolved. And same thing with the 10. Yeah. Right. The 10 now has to defend. And also you got to remember when a player is required and has more responsibilities like defending when he's on the ball, he will also be more tired. So maybe he won't be as creative as he would be if he didn't have to play defense. While yeah. back in the day, a lot of the tens you go back and you look Zico right for Brazil. That's one to talk about where you go back in the 90s, 80s, 70s. The 10 sometimes would just float around up top. Now I have to play defense. And it would just be a classic 10. So the 10 still exists. And I think the last player I talk about that looks like a true 10, like an old school 10, and he's not very effective because of that, even though he's a super talent. At one point, people said he was better than Neymar, and he actually looked better than Neymar in the beginning, was Paulianiki Gunso. Um, Gunso, when he showed up with Santos and Neymar, he was he still is so talented, can put a pick a lock with ease, free kicks, so technical, but he doesn't run, doesn't play defense, and he becomes a useless 10. He ended up going to Sevilla at one point and wasn't very effective. If you want to see what an old-school 10 is, go look up Ganso. He plays for Fluminense, and that's what it is. But nowadays, the 10s have to defend. Um, yeah. Can we talk about some of the best attacking midfielders in the world who play centrally for club or country? Just go back and forth. Yeah, there's. You want to go first, or want me to go first? Yeah, I mean, I've already said Luka Modric. You know, this is the mm -hmm. champions of Europe, and he played as an attacking midfielder for them in their four-three-three. But that didn't stop him from doing a good defensive job when he needed to, and that's true of every attacking midfielder today. But who you got? Uh, trying to think of more players. I mean. Kevin De Bruyne is definitely one in terms of playmaking ability. I know sometimes Pep plays him more as an eight, a Mezala eight, sometimes as a 10, sometimes in a false nine. <laughs> but, but, and sorry for the coughs here, guys, still almost recovered. But um, Kevin De Bruyne is definitely one player to, to mention there that plays centrally, right? Doesn't yeah. play on the wing. Uh, Joshua I'm, Kimmich for Germany. Kimmich, at one point, is a right back. Yeah, at one point he was a right back and they've, yeah. you know, unleashed him and actually allowed him to play as a central attacking midfielder, you know. Um, if I'm not mistaken, and probably Barcelona fans can help me, doesn't Pedri play more as a 10? Yeah. Pedri's another player. Um, Thomas Müller is a 10. Thomas Müller, yeah. I know that there's a new... Oh, I'm sorry. I wasn't talking about Kimmich. I was talking about Mueller for Germany. I completely got them mixed yeah, up. Yeah, Kimmich Mueller. plays as a central midfielder mostly, or even a six at times. But Thomas Mueller, um, I know his role is kind of weird, right? Yeah. There's no defined role. I know he made up a name. I forgot what he called it. It's a German word. Um, but yeah, he he's a 10. He's also yeah. a 10. Uh, the role is still there. And, and, and soccer evolves. Now we're also... People are talking about the death of... Um, the nine position, it's going to come back. That's how things are. The game evolves, yeah. it comes back. Just like just like the same thing with um, the most popular formation, uh, I believe in the 2000s, there was a bunch of teams playing a 4-4-2, yeah. right? Sir Alex would play a 4-4-2. AC Milan, when they won with Ancelotti, I believe it was a 4 the, the big successful teams were 4-4-2. Yeah. And then Pep Guardiola came into scene and the 4-3-3 started to emerge again. And the 4-3-3 has been the dominant one. And it'll yeah. change. It'll change. Football goes in phases, right? Yeah. It goes in phases because the game, you constantly have to adapt. Once a formation, people figure out how to play against a certain formation, then you have to adapt. You have to try something different. So it 
forces this constant ebb and flow of formations, player roles, personnel. Nothing is ever dead and nothing is ever permanent. For all we know, the 442 could come back in a different I mean, it kind of has as a 442 diamond, right? Yeah. In some places. I think what people need to understand is is mostly, and this is a little bit more complicated. You'd have to actually dive into the sport. You got to understand why certain evolutions happen, right? You have the 442, not the diamond, the regular flat 442, right? The reason the 433 emerge over that is because you could overflow the midfield. You'd have three guys in the midfield, so you always have an extra player in the midfield and wing play that kind of screwed over the the the, the right midfielders, and that's why it became a counter. It became a very popular one, and then a variation of the four three three that also is successful in this decade is the four two three one, which is the four three three just with a ten and dual pivots. But the evolution usually happens as a counter to the most popular one, and people yeah. slowly figuring it out slowly. Uh, well, one that's been very popular in the last few years with both clubs and national teams is either a 3-4-3 or a 3-5-2. Mm-hmm. We've sort of gone to a back three. If you look at a lot of the top European teams, especially um, their national teams, they play with a back three, whether it's a three. Belgium does it. Uh, I know Germany does it now. Spain does it. A lot of teams do it. 3-4-3, 3-5-2, 3 There's different variations of it, but I think at this World Cup, we're going to see a lot of back three. Um, And there are pros to that as well, right? A back three gives you real solidity and defense in the center, which is the danger areas, but you still have three in midfield in many cases, although if it's a three, four, three, you don't, you still have enough numbers in midfield to be able to have a numbers up situation. It also, if you play a three, five, two, you still have a width, but now you have two guys up top, right? So you have more of a poacher and then you have more of a target man. You have options. You have a second striker who can play off and sort of combine pull wide and combine with the wingers, you know? So it's this constant evolution. And by the way, if anybody wants a really good book on the evolution of soccer tactics, read Inverting the Pyramid by Jonathan Wilson. For me, that's one of the best uh, books on the history of soccer tactics and how they have evolved over time. Definitely worth a read. Check it out. It's available on anywhere you get your books. I also think soccer tactics, they, they have big turning points in World Cup years. Yes. The reason I, the reason for that is not because in the World Cup you see new tactics. It's just because the entire world see tactics from different places, different coaches, different ideas, and everyone's watching it. So you get different ideas and you pull all through it. And I think the best example from that is it starts in 1974 with um, uh, what's his name, the coach from Netherlands that coached Ajax. Um, Reichard. Yeah. Reichard. He, no, not Reichard. He coached in 1974, not Reichard. Um, Oh, I know who you mean. He went and started ended up coaching Barcelona. He started total football. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll look at. I keep going. I'll look him up. Yeah, he started off. Um, what should we call? It? He started. It started all there. The evolution. Then every World Cup, you see something different. You've seen Italy many times revolutionize Brazil. It's Renus Mitchells. Renus Mitchells was the yeah. Coach well, that he was French. Was he French? No, he was Dutch. No, he he coached Ajax and and he him he and wrote, Johan Cruyff, I think, were the advocates of total football. Cruyff yeah, with Ajax, with Ajax, and then it, it kept going on, and and there's always tweaking, and then and then in 2010, like most recently, right? I, I was going all the way to 74. Um, let's go to 2010, for example. Uh, Spain revolutionized with the the they pretty much got the tiki taka there, uh, with that got a little bit from Guardiola, the Barcelona guys. Yeah. So the it World Cup also, I'm interested possession. to see. I'm interested to see what this World Cup could possibly change 
right? Uh, I think we're going to see a lot more transition in this World Cup. I think a lot more surrendering of possession um, and a lot more sort of chess transition games, inviting teams out, attacking space quickly. It's very interesting. We saw Gegen pressing come through in Germany around the same time as Barcelona's game. Like uh, while Total Football was making a comeback in Barcelona, we also saw the emergence of pressing and Gegen pressing in Germany. The right? return, right? The return of Gegen pressing. Yeah, the return. And, you know, where teams in the past were afraid to press because they were worried about leaving space in behind. But as a response to Total Football, as a response to this possession game, they brought back Gegen pressing. So it's always acting and reacting. This is like an acting an acting uh, lesson for me. Acting and reacting to what's going on in the field. That's how tactics evolve. And that's why you have to constantly keep up to date with the global game and what's happening and who's doing what and why are they doing it if you want to be able to stay competing with the top level. But everyone, before we move forward here, we need to give a quick word from our sponsor. Before we start the MLS propaganda, let us start with our, not propaganda, but our sponsor. And thank you, DraftKings, for sponsoring this podcast. And this one is for the hockey fans, if we have any listening. The pursuit for the Stanley Cup is on, and DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NHL. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win $150 in free bets, no matter what, win or lose. Now, download DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use the promo code TBPN. That is in TBPN. Bet $5 on any NHL team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's the code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Thank you once again, DraftKings. All right, Tack. Next up, we have a topic that is dear to our hearts. And something that we we engage with on Twitter on a fairly regular basis, but also on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And that is the continued, listen, as an American fan, I love, I don't love MLS, but I like MLS. I want MLS to grow. I want MLS to get better. Um, I think it's important for our, to have a strong domestic soccer league. That being said, I can recognize what the league is and what it isn't. And oftentimes what the league isn't is self-imposed. Mm -hmm right? Can we just talk real quickly? Gareth Bale goes to LAFC and Inter Miami gets almost $70,000 in quote discovery <laughs> rights. They, no, I'm serious. They got money. I saw that. They got money from LAFC for discovery rights. Did they scout Gareth Bale? No. Did Gareth Bale ever have anything to do with Inter Miami? No. How did they get this money? You ask in MLS, you literally write a bunch of names on a piece of paper called a discovery list. And what that means is that is your player. doesn't matter where this player is playing. He could be playing in China, Japan, England, France, anywhere in the world. Somehow, because you wrote his name on a list before the other guy did, he's your player. Even if you don't want this player ever to come to the league. But if somebody it's like else... It's like calling uh, dibs? Yeah, it's like basically calling dib. It's calling shotgun. <laughs> Except you don't get you don't get to be in the passenger seat. But if somebody else takes the passenger seat, they have to pay you money or whatever they would have to give you. It's a it's an asinine rule, okay? It is kindergarten level rule that MLS has. And the reason MLS had this rule in the past was because they wanted to keep, and they still do, MLS on a very even playing field. They didn't want anybody to get too good. In fact, when teams would underperform or spend poorly, 
or not developed players and they were getting too bad, they would find ways to make them better. Do you remember the blind draw when Jermaine Jones came to MLS? He wanted to come to MLS. New England wanted him and Chicago wanted him. And at the time, Chicago, they were both bad teams. MLS didn't know who to help. So they did a quote, blind draw and decided he should go to New England. These kind of rules, MLS needs to grow up and need to get rid of stupid rules like this because it had nothing to do with Gareth Bale or the player. It was just, you wrote his name down on the list. So that's one thing. Okay. But, but MLS is a great development league for young players to start off in before they go push themselves at a higher level and a great league for Americans who can't play in Europe to have a soccer career and to get paid to play soccer and a great place for people to go watch soccer live. That being said, we are constantly told on a regular basis there's this sort of uh, agenda that's being pushed that MLS is so much better than it is, particularly as it regards the national team. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I think when what happens is the following. <clears throat> if you go to any other country, they quickly recognize the level of their league. They still enjoy it, but they yeah. embrace the criticism of what needs to improve and whether it's going to improve or not, we'll see. The thing with MLS is when you go to there's two groups that I see with MLS that are just very hard to deal with because they either are disingenuous about it or clueless about it. And I have two different theories for these two different groups. One is the the guys that are employed by MLS or the ones that work in media that relies on MLS. Okay. So soccer journalists in the U S or MLS employees that essentially work out as a propaganda machine. There's no criticism to the league. Every time an MLS player scores like a bang average goal in MLS, they're propping it up as if it's something special. They're always trying to prop those players. It, it does, and they're always trying to criticize a little bit more the players abroad, be a little bit more critical. And I'm fine with their criticism of the players abroad because, honestly, a lot of them are fair. But at the end of the day, we see some nonsense tweets about the league, which just makes older soccer but by older soccer fans i don't mean old people like I'm, I'm 28 i mean just soccer fans that maybe grew up in a household with mexican parents brazilian parents uruguayan parents argentinian parents or european parents right uh that have been following soccer since they're were born yeah they don't take the league seriously it becomes a joke it's yeah. laughable i watch mls games with my my dad and and the tv commentators are literally hired by the club and we laugh at the comments. The team is playing like complete and utter crap. And the guy's still propping up the team right there as if I'm a freaking idiot watching the game and I can't see what's going on. Right. Yeah. And again, I don't want a commentator that's just going to crap on the team the whole time. That's not what I want. Right. But you do also want a guy that's providing a decent to fair analysis of like things are not looking good here or things are good. This is right. bad. This is good not just propping the league 24-7, no matter what the heck is happening. And then there's the second group, okay, which are MLS fans, but they're not like MLS fans that, because they're going to go on and say that we're MLS haters, right? And probably the people calling that went to less MLS games than me in their yeah. life. So that's the first thing to say. We're not MLS haters. We're also MLS fans, but there's the MLS fanboys. And the MLS fanboys are the fans that only watch MLS. They don't watch any other league in the world, which is 100% fine, but they completely lose touch reality of what soccer is in different countries. And then you see tweets like this one from a big account named MLS Transfers. I'm going to read it. 
-hmm. any front three combination of Garrett Bale, Brian Rodriguez, Carlos Vela, and Christian Arango are better than some EPL clubs. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So where do <laughs> I start here? Back there. Where do I start here? Garrett Bale could start, if he's committed, he could start for many EPL clubs, as he's proven. Yeah. Now, Carlos Vela, um, when he was at his prime during La Liga, he could start for some EPL clubs. Right now, Carlos Vela, no way. Could not readjust the intensity of the EPL at age 33. Just no. doesn't want it. Does he have the technique? Yeah, sure. But that there's more to that when you're playing the Premier League. <laughs> Christian Arango, uh, sorry. Sorry, just to touch on that real quick. It's not just technique, it's speed of play. The speed of play in MLS is so slow. You have so much time and space, especially with some of the defending in MLS, that you actually make team. I watched the LAFC versus New York Red Bulls game this last weekend. Absolute shambolic defending from the Red Bulls. Shambolic, like high school level defending on both goals. And I'm like, that's what makes Carlos Vela look so good right now. You won't get that time of space in the EPL. The speed of play is so ridiculously high. You're never going to have that kind of time on the ball to do what he does in MLS. So no, he could he could not pay, play in the Premier League right now. And he doesn't want to. Also, <laughs> he no. wouldn't want to. No, he doesn't. Um. <laughs> he came here to relax. He doesn't want to play for Mexico. He likes the NBA. He even said basketball is his favorite sport. MLS. It's just a job for him. Like, I think the. Well, go ahead. Continue with Brian Rodriguez. Brian Rodriguez went to La Liga 2. Okay. Not even La Liga. La Liga 2. And as far as I know, didn't do much, if anything at all. He failed there. Um, he's also an MLS, a good MLS player. And that's about it. And that's about it. And then people are saying these guys would start for most Premier League teams. You go to Leeds United, that barely escaped relegation. Their front three, right? If they, you put their best, it's going to be. Not even Brendan Aronson. Leave Brendan Aronson out last season because Brendan Aronson would start for any MLS team nowadays. Um, he would be a DP level. Yes. For most MLS teams. Rafinha is a Brazil national team starter. Okay. That's a World Cup contender team. Jack Harrison would be a DP level player in, in MLS. A very good player. The other one that's playing there is a center forward can be Banford or Rodrigo. Right. Either one would probably drop a lot of goals in MLS. Yeah, that would be a contender United. for top scorer in MLS. Yes, the, the center forward for for Burnley is Veghorst. Okay, plays a guy for the Dutch national team. Yes, and consistently dropped double-digit goals in Bundesliga. Okay, And Ricardo this is a Burnley that was relegated. Yes. <laughs> um, Watford has Ismailia Saar as one of the wingers, which could play for many. Ismailia Saar right now in the Premier League, better player than Bale. Right now, people might hate to say this better player than Bale right now until Bale proves otherwise because Bale just doesn't feel like playing sometimes. Yeah, uh, João Pedro also, uh, probably the most talented player in that team, will probably be in a Premier League team if he leaves Watford too. We were hyping up a player that was mediocre for Watford, right? Cucho, whatever his name Chico is, Chico Hernandez. Yeah, Chico Hernandez. We were hyping him up, he was mediocre for Watford, and we're hyping him in MLS. And Watford was the second to last, just ahead of Norwich, which was a horrible team in the Premier League. Terrible team. Terrible team. So the propaganda, they need to figure out what they're saying. Um, one thing is to say that Vela could be a bench player for Norwich. Yeah, he could make the roster for Norwich. Could. I don't think Vela would start over Sargent at Norwich. 
not because not, he's not a better player than Sargent, but because they put Sargent there to defend, honestly. Yeah, they Vela there for his work it. rate. Who is he going to combine with? He's a technical player, right? The, 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 the thing with Norwich is they're not signing technical players. They're just trying to defend for their lives in there. So uh, the, 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 these are the, the, the two groups I mentioned. It's the propagandist. And I think the, the, the fanboys, it's more of like not watching other leagues and not understanding the gap. Right. And that is the thing. And, and that's not saying no MLS player can play in the Premier League. There are MLS players that can play in the Premier League. It's just that you can't really affirm something like that. And, and they can't play until proven otherwise. It's not the other way around. Because when I said I replied to that saying that, no, none of them would start. People were kind of like reversing it, saying I had nothing to back that. No, it's the other way around. You have nothing to back that they can play in the Premier League. It's the other way around. But uh, I guess these are the two accounts. I'll let you talk into my throat a little bit. Yeah, there's two things I want to say. Number one, I think sometimes in America, we want, we're a little insecure about this, you know, where American soccer is at right now or, or has been for the last 10 years. It's the one sport in the world that we're not the best at, right? Or the one major sport. We dominate basketball, we dominate baseball, we dominate football because nobody else plays it. You know, and then you come to, you know, soccer and we're not very good. And then we have our own league. And I think there's a sense of it's better than it is because it's ours. You know what I mean? Alexi Lalas likes to say this a lot. It's our league. We love it. And it's like, that's fine. Love it. It's your league. But you have to be honest about the level that it's at. And furthermore, if you want the league to grow, if you want more attention, Okay, right now, MLS has an attention problem. The vast majority of soccer fans in America do not watch MLS. Okay, it's not the most popular soccer league, even in, in its own country. All right. Is it even How, top three? I don't think it's even top three. Yeah. I don't think it's even top three. It's definitely behind La Liga MX, which is number one, and the Premier League. And I do think, although I could, Champions League for sure is more popular than MLS. But in terms of like a league league, I think La Liga is still more popular in America than than MLS now. And that's backed up by TV ratings. That's, that's all I'm, I'm saying that by. If you want to get those people's attention, if you want soccer fans in America to take MLS seriously, you have to start by taking yourself seriously. And one of the ways you do that is not playing cheerleader with your pom-poms for MLS. Like, Hey, we're so good. Everything is great. Look at this. It's good, 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 good. We got another, you know, guy in his 30s to come play for us or a failure at Watford to come play for us. We are elite. We're, it's just, you have to start taking yourself seriously. The same way that Charles Barkley can criticize, you know, players or officials or teams on the NBA. And no one's saying he's a hater, right? You're not a hater because you criticize, right? This is, this is a very bizarre idea. Oh, you're just a hater. No, usually people criticize because they want something to be better. Now, the guy who says, MLS sucks, I don't give a shit about it, I'm never watching it, that's one thing. But if you have genuine criticisms, which we don't hear from the people who are the quote-unquote MLS journalists, the broadcasters, the people who say, it's like you talked about with your Orlando viewing experience, right? They can't say, this player's been terrible today, take it off, because they'll get fired. If you want America to take you seriously, MLS, start by taking yourself seriously. Start treating the league like it's a proper sports league, a first division sports league in this country, and treat it with the same level of analysis and the same level of criticism and the same level of skepticism that you would any other player in any other sport in this league. 
That's how you help MLS grow. That's one thing. Of course, there are many other things that have to do with roster rules and quality of play and, uh, you know, a lot of things. But, yeah, but, no, but, but that's one thing that you can do is you have to start taking yourself seriously. And I just don't think we have a media that does that. Yeah, but Pete, if the media was maybe calling out the roster rules and, and talking about all of this, eventually MLS could think and just like, oh, maybe we should remove this, right? Maybe there yeah. are issues here that we could address. Yeah, but, no, 100%. But but again, um, those, those are the groups and the propaganda continues, right? Yes. Um, they keep, like the, the propaganda ones, they keep giving Roldan, Morris, and Ariola specific roles, like these roles that are so important for the national team. Like Roldan is the group guy. Without him, the group will collapse. <laughs> He's keeping it together. Ariola, he runs, I guess. <laughs> yeah, he runs. He runs. You know, or what they'll do is they'll over magnify one thing that he does, for example, a goal against an amateur team called Grenada. Okay. This was, you know, I'm going to read you an example. This is a tweet from the Athletic Soccer. Okay. This is a big, big uh, organization, sports, you know, organization here in the United States. And they said today that Paul Ariola has been on a tear for club and country by scoring eight goals for club and country in his last eight starts. It's basically a manufactured stat to, to try and he's been very good in MLS. That's great. Okay. But they're trying to lump it into his national team goal against Grenada in order to try to justify his spot on the national team. When anybody who's watched Ariola play since the last year, since he came back in the gold cup and for all of world cup qualifying and in this last window where he was terrible against Uruguay when he came on for 30 minutes. Just completely awful. Couldn't even hold on to the ball. Terrible against El Salvador, right? Came on, gave the ball away three times, and then got sent off, right? But no, let's ignore all of that. Let's ignore how terrible he was throughout all of World Cup qualifying, you know, apart from 45 good minutes against Panama at home. I'll give him that. But other than that, between Gold Cup and World Cup qualifying, I have never seen anything from Ariola to convince me that he's a national team level player, but we're trying so hard to justify him. Oh, but he, he works so hard and look, he scores goals for Dallas. That's irrelevant. I'm sorry. That's irrelevant. Jassy Zardes was scoring goals for the Columbus crew regularly, and it didn't translate to the national team. Roldan and Morris are scoring and assisting on a regular basis for Seattle. It doesn't translate to the national team. Stop trying to justify MLS, take MLS stats and use them to justify a player who now has to come and compete against the world's best. This is why we always say, like, I'm way more comfortable with a guy who has Champions League experience going to a World Cup. If he's proven he can play well in the Champions League, you know that he will be fine with the speed and the quality of play that he's going to face at a World Cup. Morris, Ariola, Roldan, they've spent their entire lives in MLS playing in CONCACAF. That's all they've shown. And it's never even translated for the national team in CONCACAF why do we think that they should be roster inclusions at the World Cup? And, and the reason I get so passionate about this is because I feel like I'm fighting against this media wall of people who are trying to justify their inclusion by stretching out facts or trying to take stats and twist them in order to justify their inclusion when any intelligent, normal soccer fan who watches you know, their level of play for the national team could tell you they just can't cut it. They're not that level of player. The question is, is the tail wagging the dog? Is it the media? Expound. What? Expound. As in explain, explain. Well, it's usually, is the media 
the one that's carrying this narrative <clears throat> or is it MLS pushing it? Well, I'm sure it's MLS pushing it, but even media that doesn't work for MLS, like The Athletic, are still trying to justify it, right? So to me, again, it doesn't, all you're doing, let's say somebody is a commentator for an MLS club. I won't say what specific one. And they come out saying, you know, Jordan Morris should absolutely be a guy because look, he scored a, a header this last week against the worst team in MLS right now, the bottom of the table team. He scored a header against them. And so that should justify his spot on the roster in Qatar. All you're doing is saying to fans who already struggle with the quality of MLS, don't take me seriously. Don't take this league seriously because I'm using these ridiculous metrics to try to justify a, a, a very mediocre player who, by the way, didn't even look good against Grenada. Can we be honest? Remember his performance against Grenada? He was terrible. No, and then against El Salvador, which is a short team, by the way, uh, he won headers. That's all he did. One, yeah, but so what? Like, okay, so no, yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, he won headers against a short team. He's not going to win headers against big English players. That you for Virgil Van Dyke. <laughs> and it's like, and again, it's like we're not saying that they have zero skill or that they can never score a goal, right? We're talking about what do they genuinely bring to the team? Can we talk about their technical ability? Can we talk about their ability to combine in tight spaces to get out of pressure with the ball? Their speed of play. Uh, their athleticism, all of these things together should be in discussion, but instead they move the goalposts and focus on one little thing and say, because he scored this headed goal, that's enough to justify his inclusion in the roster. Ariola for me, let's take a classic example. Oh, he comes on and he works hard. Josh Sargent was playing in the exact same role as Paul Ariola in the best league in the world. Okay. Working his butt off for the team in the premier league. If you want somebody who can come on in, in late in a game to help defend a lead, give me Josh Sargent over Paul Ariola every day of the week. On top of that, he'll actually give you an aerial threat defensively and offensively. Remember how he saved our asses against Honduras in the Nations mm -hmm. League semifinal? We wouldn't we would have, have lost Nations League if he hadn't. We would have that. lost Nations League right there. Right there and then, probably. Yeah. You know, or Jordan Peefock, who scored a header against Honduras, right? But somehow he's not in the if you want a late sub to come on and score with his head. He's not in the conversation. Matthew Hoppy scores a header against Jamaica, Jamaica, right, in the Gold Cup, but he's not in the conversation either. Why not? Well, they don't play in MLS. So that's the, that's the simple truth. And I'm not an MLS hater. I watch a lot of MLS. I cover MLS on my channel from time to time. But I, I, I just get really tired of the constant agenda and narrative pushing that I hear from our media because it doesn't help. You're making it worse. You're making it worse for MLS. You're at, you're begging fans not to take you seriously. And it's working. They're losing fans. Yeah. There's more and more people watching less because they're getting pissed off at this. But Pete, should we wrap up this episode here? And then we come back on July, just so I can remind everyone, July 26th. So pretty much roughly one month off here for the podcast a little bit less because we got to record before but roughly one month that we're going to rest in pipe but again the youtube channels will remain active as always twitter we might be a little less active we'll still be active on twitter instagram etc pete and pete. thank you to everybody who went and gave us five star reviews we have 206 ratings now on on um, apple podcasts almost 400 on spotify and especially those comments, right? The reviews really, really help because then what happens is the more good ratings and reviews you have, the higher up the suggested list you get pushed on iTunes. So that's really important for the growth of the podcast. So if you want to help grow the game, 
continue to do that. We really appreciate it. And thank you to every single person who has it really, really helps. Yeah, we we also wanted to start the podcast this first semester. We accomplished our goal. We started it and we're going to ramp it up as the World Cup approaches and hopefully next year do as much as we can. We'll see how things work out for everyone. Thank you everyone for listening. I I, I hate to interrupt you. I just want to read this one last review because it's very relevant to what we just talked about. Go Um, ahead. This is from a a hog fan ridge. It says truth. This was on June 23rd. So four days ago, he said, I really enjoy this podcast. They speak their mind and defend their arguments. As an MLS fan, I know that the league is not the best and I am aware of its faults. These guys don't lust over the league like a lot of other American soccer journalists slash fans and are upfront about the faults and successes of the league, which is so nice to hear instead of the constant MLS homerism that we hear in America too often. Also, I like the idea of expanding the podcast to talking more about world football while still talking about CONCACAF MLS USA. All right. So with that last one, we'll leave it here. We'll see you guys at the end of summer here on the podcast. If you only listen to the podcast, go check out 11 Yanks on YouTube and Tactical Manage TV because then you can still listen to us there. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Have a great summer if you're only a podcast listener. If you're not, you'll see us around. Thanks, guys.